3: Welcome to the Billboard Chart Beat podcast. Trevor Anderson here, uh, chart manager here at Billboard, along with, along with, that makes me sound like I'm a featured artist. I w- along with. I mean, if you want to think of me, maybe think of me as the opener. If you wanna, if you wanna get all hoity-toity about it,
1: I'm Gary Trust, Billboard's co-director of charts.
3: Hey, round of applause for Gary. We'll edit and that in. This is the Chart podcast where we talk about why what's on the charts is on the charts. Uh, lots to get to on the podcast this week. We're going to talk about, of course, the number one song, once again, Despacito. But before we get there, uh, Gary, obviously, a lot of sad news in the music community this past week um, with uh, the death of Chester Bennington of Linkin Park. I, I mean, again, we've kind of seen this a couple times in the past year. Just some of these these rock frontmen having right. some real, real, you know, real trouble. And obviously, Chester um, taking his own life is just the latest. But at least still another great outpouring of love that we saw from a lot of the communities. Um, a lot of people, you know, again, advocating if you, if you, if you feel like you need help or, or feel like you're alone, so many celebrities out there really telling their fans to to get help. You know, right. take care of yourself.
1: Yeah, there. Elvis Duran and the Morning Show ran an interview with Chester the day after, and it was it was just taped a few you know, a few months ago when when the new album came out, and you know he sounded all happy. They were joking around, and obviously you can just never tell. It just just one of the things that that Chester said in the interview is how he always thought that. Lincoln Park was kind of a pop band in many ways. They were, you know, alternative to hard rock, but th- their gift for melody uh, you know, was, is, just really uh, places them in such a place where it was never that surprising to me that they crossed over. Because songs like uh, In the End and some of those you know, really you know loud rock songs that crossed over to pop in the early 2000s, they had great hooks. So it was always easy to see why they crossed
3: over. You know, Lincoln Park was, I think, for a lot of people who maybe grew up in that that 90s, 2000s pockets, It's one of the first sort of rock bands that they that they interacted with. Um, and of course, you know, every, every generation kind of has that rock band that helps them through those that teenage angst. But certainly in the end, you know, songs like Numb um, in particular, I know a lot of people really gravitated to it in their time. And not only just, you know, within their own community, but... The album Collision Course with Jay-Z in 2004, I think, right. opened the door for a lot of people who had never experienced Linkin Park, um, but, you know, who knew Jay-Z, and said, you know, okay, if Jay-Z has, you know, gives them the, the co-sign, let's check them out. Um, you know, Numb Encore being a hit there, performing a couple times, and obviously, you know, having a number one album together. I ever want to kind of go back to uh, Aerosmith Walk This Way with Run DMC is kind of right. the breakthrough for that generation. But we, it's something we hadn't seen, you know, Too very consistent. Right. Yeah, And um, in particular for somebody as... You know, I mean, Run DMC is more of a sort of pop rap group, but for for people as kind of disparate as Jay-Z right. and, uh, and uh, Lincoln Park to be fans of each other, yeah, huge thing there.
1: All right, this week uh, on the charts, uh, on the Hot 100, uh, as we said, uh, Despacito is number one again. Uh, so we'll talk about how it's getting closer and closer uh, to the record for most weeks at number one all time. Actually, a record for most weeks at number one on Hot Country Songs is tied this week. Uh, Sam Hunt, we'll talk about that. A couple of guys in the top 10, maybe getting overshadowed a little bit in the Hot 100. We'll talk about that. And uh, our industry insider interview this week, the real uh, bulk of the podcast actually, is uh, rising country star Marin Morris and her boss, uh, Sony Music Nashville CEO and chairman, Randy Goodman, sat down with Jim Asker in Nashville, Billboard's uh, senior chart manager based in Nashville, talking about uh, really both sides of the artist label relationship. So uh, we'll get into
3: that. And we're going to flash back to what, Trevor? 1974, so strap in your seatbelts, kids. We're going back more than 40 years to uh, a song that was cresting at number two this week on the Hot 100, but later would become number one.
1: 1974, the year that one of the hosts of the Chartbeat Podcast was born.
3: Well, uh, w- well, it certainly isn't me. So I, I just... I... Cool. Alright, and without further ado, this here's this week's top ten on the Hot 100. Check it out. Ten... Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three,
4: two, one. Number ten. You've been home with me tonight. Oh, I just want attention. You don't want
1: my heart.
4: Baby, you just hit the thought of me with one new hugs Number nine. Fifteen, I've been shaking. I love it when you go crazy. You take all my inhibitions, baby. There's nothing holding me back. You take me places that tear my
2: number seven.
4: Never smell like you every okay. discovering something brand new. I'm in love with your body. I'm in love with
2: your
4: body. Number five. I need to get you along.
3: Number four.
4: girl don't you know girl I am the one for you on the
1: number 3 that's oh,
4: what wow. i like that's what i like number 2 And number one,
3: Bring it up for the Once week. Once, Yonce, not Beyonce. Beyonce? I wish it was Beyonce. She on
1: this remix now too?
3: Could you uh, yo, that would be that would be sick. Beyonce has, you know, done a couple of her own songs in Spanish, right. a, a Spanish our uh, remake, so she's got she's got at least the language chops probably down. So of course if you've been paying attention for an eleventh week this week, despacito number one on the hot one hundred, Luis Fonsi and Daddy Yankee featuring the one the only, the newly not going to be on tour anymore, Justin Bieber. Um, I mean, the kids were working nonstop, you know, and obviously it's great for, you know, his fans and it's great for his career and his numbers and his accolades and all those kind of things. But at the same time, you know, and you're I mean, if you're running from, I'm sure, you know, tour rehearsal to the studio to this TV appearance to the actual tour itself. I mean, it's got to take a toll on you. It seems like he, you know, is just just needs some rest. You and,
1: know, we've seen this you know. with other, ag- obviously, Selena Gomez. And it's it's still sort of like a taboo in some ways to to say you need to take time off because it's just sort of um, you know show business the show goes on
3: well especially in this social media world. because you know I guess you can all you used to be able to kind of be off if you just right. weren't you know if there's no more like on performance or whatever but everyone expects you to be tweeting about something or, yeah, or yeah. I, Instagramming something or it's
1: sort of a bigger overall topic. but is it possible that with both social media where you're kind of there's never a break at all? And also with touring now becoming the main way that artists make money, that people are under more pressure than ever to just go nonstop to the point where – Maybe it's, it's a more unhealthy level than in years past. I, hard to say overall, but I, I feel like we're seeing some examples that maybe maybe that's starting to become a little bit more of an issue.
3: Yeah, um, I mean, definitely could be. And, you know, to add on to that, I know, like you mentioned, touring is becoming more and more important for for your pocketbook. But at the same time, you know, I mean, you got to have hits to make tours. So, right. I mean, the, the pressure probably is still there, maybe in a different way to have, you know, a continual stream of hits. I mean, we're seeing... Uh, when look at someone like Celine, i'm not sure what the you know what the album rollout or the strategy is going to be but i mean you know already three songs in the past you know what 5 6 months have come out so right. i mean again it seems like you know that steady output steady output every 6 weeks or so you know get something else get something else number one, 11 weeks so as always when you get to these kind of double digit numbers um certainly the lamely starts to pay attention if, if no one else yep uh that the song Despacito of course now within 5 weeks of the all time record on the Billboard Hot 100, which is currently held by Mariah Carey and Boyce Timmons, One Sweet Day. And, I mean, the big question, as always, is: is this going to be the one that could at least match it, if not outright break it?
1: Yeah, we ran down the numbers uh, last week of uh, songs in their 10th week at number one and how big a lead Despacito had last week. And we saw that it had the biggest lead uh, since Blurred Lines, which had a bigger lead in its 10th week. So uh, if we update the numbers this week uh, back to uh, 2013, Blurred Lines for 11th week, uh, we haven't seen a song with as big a lead between numbers one and number two on the Hot 100 this decade. So uh, Despacito this week has a 1.73 to one lead over Wild Thoughts at number two. That's bigger than any other uh, 11-week-plus number one this decade. Shape of You, Closer, See You Again, Uptown Funk, and Blurred Lines. So uh, the gap is just not closing too much week by week. Uh, Despacito was down 3% in overall points. Wild Thoughts was down less than 1%. So they're just kind of staying where they were. And I think we're kind of coming to the conclusion more and more each week that it's going to take a brand-new song to knock off. Despacito because it looks like nothing else at the moment is is moving this closely to challenge it or it could be, uh, if not a new song, maybe something even like Despacito itself, a remix with Bieber uh, could happen to the J Balvin, uh, Willie William uh, song that's rising uh, we don't know, it could be a meme, but it's at the moment, uh, not knowing any any of those uh, variables, despacito's looking good uh, to possibly break the record at this point, tie or break
3: Yeah, well we'll see what, what happens in the next couple weeks obviously, yeah, I mean a lot of people are like you said, speculating that maybe Taylor Swift is the only hope at this point, um, will be interesting too of course, I think from from sort of the internal reaction, I mean, again, this is a song that, in a way was sort of a leap of faith, you know, to put Bieber on this remix that I don't think anybody predicted it could it, it could do or it could be this big, so you wonder, especially you know, obviously I'm sure people are paying attention and trying to do this sort of repeat crossover effect um, right now, but especially if this song, you know comes out of nowhere and then breaks the, the US record, I mean that would be that ramp up a lot of those conversations big time, I'm sure.
1: Right. It's actually not the only song where we're seeing um record uh reigned at number one. Uh we heard back at number nine, Sam Hunt. Body like a back road, number one for a record tying twenty fourth week on the Hot Country Songs chart. Gary's uh, already
3: given away from once we day No it's not, I, it's, I, it's not the only song we're seeing record the Gary's like if you read between the lines there, you say the I'm Gary a, Gary's I'm I'm preparing myself, I guess
1: that's right. Yeah, so it, when it happens, you you try to be as prepared as you can be. I, 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 I suppose. But right. as a Mariah fan, as as uh, really liking the song, I for 21-plus years now, I've been happy it's had the record. So we'll see how much longer that lasts. So get the, I guess you might need to get those two years going. Um, but uh, Sam Hunt uh, ties the record, uh, ties Cruz, 24 weeks at number one on Hot Country Songs. Wondering how long that can lead. It looks like this could really be number one for a for the foreseeable. What's beyond foreseeable future? What's the word for beyond foreseeable? The
3: post foreseeable future,
1: <laughs> ultra foreseeable future, sure, hyper foreseeable. But it has. It, we're talking about leads at number one. Despacito is uh, one point seven three to one uh, over the number two song on the Hot One Hundred. Uh, Sam Hunt has an even bigger lead over Brett Youngs. In case you didn't know, much bigger lead. Yeah, on Hot Country Songs, two point two six to one. So more than double the points And that Brett Young song has already peaked at country radio. So it's kind of hanging on at this point. Nothing else is really that close. Not a surprise. Sam Hunt, it's got the pop crossover. It's still building at pop and adult radio. So I think this really could be uh, number one for a really long time. And one thing it kind of reminds me of is um, uh, a couple years ago by Lando by Enrique Iglesias was number one for 41 weeks on hot Latin songs. Same type of thing where it crossed over from a non-pop uh, format, from, from Latin to pop, uh, 41 weeks as it crossed over. So it seems like that's something that I wouldn't be surprised if Body Like a Road got up into that level. Nothing challenging that at the moment to cross over. Uh, songs like this come along every few years.
3: Yeah, and... Um... I guess also to tie it back to Despacito for a little bit, uh, if people are wondering where, you know, the hot Latin songs record, you said, you said it's 41 weeks, Despacito this week, and it's 25th week. So, um, kind of in that same competition with Sam Hunt in that same kind of territory to, uh, about 15 or so more weeks. And it, it might have that record, obviously number one on Hot 100 by, by a big margin. So you'd have to probably look forward to that at some point. All right. Also in the hot 100s top 10, uh, we're going to talk about this week, a couple of guys so we mentioned Bieber, obviously, um, so many times on this podcast in the past couple of weeks and months um, a lot of other male superstars doing big things this year we talked about Ed sheeran you know we saw shape of you dominate the chart at the top of the year um, we've seen Bruno pick up a number one this this year as well Drake obviously continuing his monster reign from last year into this year um, but this year we've got two guys two two young guys two two fresh faces really in, in pop music um hang on at the top 10 this week Sean Mendes we want to give a shout out to his song there's nothing holding me back. Jumped in the top 10 last week. We saw this week again at number eight. And Charlie Puth, who also, again, another fresh face we saw a couple years ago, breakthrough with See You Again. This week in the top 10 with Attention. So Charlie getting his third top 10 this week after See You Again. Led for 12 weeks with Wiz Khalifa back in 2015. And we saw the song. We don't talk anymore with Selena Gomez, who we mentioned a little bit earlier. So it all, all, all comes, yeah, right. all comes a little full circle. But, but um, yeah, shout out it, to those guys.
1: Right. It just kind of seems like exactly what you said. We might surprise people that they've had uh, three top tens at this point. They're kind of quietly building a nice resume. This is since uh, 2014 for Sean Mendez, 2015 since Charlie Puth. So maybe. Uh, Going forward, maybe we'll be talking about them even on that type of superstar level. You kind of start somewhere. I mean, it took Bieber a long time to to start having uh, this kind of run of hits. Ed Sheeran, same kind of thing. He started with, with the A-team and then uh, missed the top 40 with, with Lego House. And it takes a little time. So Oh, Lego House. So just a break uh, from always talking about the same, seems like the same few guys uh, in the top 10. And every week, because hits nowadays uh, stay in the top ten for so long, so it's every week we're talking about Bieber, we're talking about Ed Sheeran, or or DJ Khaled, or some of these acts. So nice to see uh, Charlie Puth and, and Shawn Mendes kind of break in with a little something different.
3: Yeah, in particular, um, you got to give a shout out to. I know people don't want to think of it or whatever, but that sophomore jinx. You know that with these with this current album cycle we're seeing. Um, you know those guys are looking like they're they're gonna break it, and uh, Shawn Mendes already obviously having had a top ten from "Treat You Better" from last right. year, and and this second song from the re-release of the album continuing to do well. Uh, Attention is going to be from Charlie's second album, which will be coming out uh, later this year. So off to a great start. And it's not just the guys at the top of the charts. We're also seeing some uh, new female artists break through. Mary Morris in particular want to spotlight on the country chart. Just had her first country airplane number one single uh, with her duet with Thomas Rhett, Craving You. And she's currently also climbing through on country with the song I Could Use a Love Song. Um, obviously won a Grammy earlier this year for Best Country Solo Performance for My Church, which was a breakout hit last year. And uh, this week, our own Jim Asker, our senior chart manager down in Nashville, uh, he oversees Billboard's Country, Christian and Gospel, and Bluegrass Charts, sat down with Marin, Gary. Yep.
1: Uh, also not just Marin. uh Randy Goodman, CEO and chairman of Sony Music Nashville, talking together about both sides of the artist-label relationship, because it does kind of Uh, go both ways as you hear them talk about how uh, Marin is trusting the label with her vision, but they want to make her proud with what they do. So they talk about all that. It's kind of what we did recently with uh, Luke Bryan and Mike Dungan over at Universal. So it's great to hear uh, artists get together with the label heads. And I think they wind up getting some perspective that they didn't have before as they talk it through together, kind of a little uh, psychology session that that we help moderate.
3: Yeah, and, and one of the things in particular people have been talking about at Country Radio for, for a little while now, not just this year, but uh, certainly last year there was, there was kind of the big tomato gate problem, um, is the question of you know women's place in the current landscape at Country and at Radio in particular. And um, definitely, of course, hearing from Marin, who was Billboard's top new Country artist of last year, as we mentioned, a Grammy Award winner. She'll definitely have some nice insights as she prepares for her second album. So
1: here they are, uh, Marin Morris and Randy Goodman on the Billboard Sharpie podcast. Life is full of what ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right?
4: I've cussed on a Sunday, I've cheated and I've lied, I've fallen down from grace a few too many times.
2: But I- All right, well, hey, this is Jim Asker from Billboard here with Maren Morris and Randy Goodman, Chairman CEO of Sony Music Nashville. Thank you both so much. Yeah, thanks um, for having us. It's nice to talk to you, Maren.
4: <laughs> Congratulations
2: <laughs> you on your engagement, I want to say. Before Thank I forget, you.
4: thanks. Yeah, uh, very exciting. um it's been a cool month. <laughs> um, no, we actually haven't even figured that part out. I think we're letting the the dust settle with the engagement mm-hmm. portion, and then we'll we'll get into planning. But it's kind of nice to just enjoy the engagement yeah. for a second.
2: I was going to offer you to spin records at the wedding if you want me to.
4: <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. What, DJ on your resume? <laughs>
2: I've actually never... I was in radio a long time and never did that because I like being in a radio where people can just shut you off instead of in front of people. Right. You know what I mean? So yeah. what I want to do, first of all, is take us back to the beginning really quick because Randy, you started 2015 about the same time that Marin came on the scene. And I remember when... The album debuted at number one and getting quotes from both of you. And you said that it was your first signing here, uh, that Marin was your first signing. So, can you just take us back to the beginning and how that all started?
0: Well, we were, it was interesting because Marin and I were just together last week uh, in Atlanta on the 13th of July, which happened to be mine and Ken Robold, who's the COO, Mm -hmm. and Steve Hodges, who's our EVP of promotion, happened to be all three of our very first day here. Uh, So we celebrated that last Thursday in Atlanta with Marin when she was playing with Sam Hunt. But, um, yeah, it it was one of those kind of things where I I came in. That was my first day on the job, and that was the 13th. That was a Monday on Wednesday the 15th. Uh Jim Catino came into my office with a CD with four songs on it, and he said, I want you to hear this. This is something that Taylor and I are very passionate about, but for whatever reason – they weren't given the, the green light to go down that, that path. And he said, I just want you to hear it. Cause it'll give you an indication of what, what we're about creatively. Um, and he said, but I think it's, you know, it's pretty far down the line with somebody else. And I said, okay. And I didn't know what he was talking about. So I put on the Marin Moore CD, the first song, I think we were talking about the first one was sugar <laughs> and then it went into eighties and then it went into church and then like drunk, girls? drunk Girls, I think, was the fourth song on it. But, I mean, you know, you first heard it, and it was like Sugar. And it was like, wow, this is kind of, this is very, very different. And and I'm thinking, this is kind of a little bit of a hip-hop-ish, you know, what is this? And at first, you know, I'm taking a but I'm loving it. I'm like, going, well, this is cool. But at the same time, you're, okay, What what is this? But then it struck me. It's like, well, the guys are doing this. Why can't a... Woman come along and do this, and then you get through the breadth of of just those four songs, and I was floored, and I looked at catino i said i 'm in what do we have to do and Jim was then well uh I think it 's going to go to this other label and I said, well, if it hasn 't gone there yet let 's go after it I mean, because we talked about from day one how do we change the storyline of Sony Music Nashville from from the disparaging kind of storyline that had had been going on how do we change that to a more positive storyline and I looked at everybody and I said Marin Morris this is how we change our storyline let's go get wow. this and so we met her the following Monday which was July the 20th I still have all these dates in my mind like meeting your your wife or something but uh July 20th and she came in and played for us and we had a great meeting and it was kind of weird because I was I was pointing to different people in the room who I didn't even know their names yet because I was still only a week old and and uh we presented a plan to Meredith said here's how here's what our here's what we
2: believe we can do and that was the first time you two met
4: yeah it was in the chapel at the old building and it was the, the staff that had been there and then all the new people that had been hired, you and Ken, and it, it was like a new regime. And it was uh, really refreshing to be talking to these people for the first time. And I was pretty far down the the trail with another label, but I was really intrigued at the idea that this label is sort of starting over, which is terrifying for everyone, but it's also really intriguing because you do get to sort of clean slate it and Mm -hmm. to be the first signing at a new takeover at the label really was um attractive to me
2: my church debuted the country airplay chart on january 16 2016 that was the day it entered the chart and i just want to ask was was that single it it's Awesome song. Um, I got to see you sing it at the Ryman when when you played with Stapleton. It just oh, yeah. was taken aback. It was just phenomenal. Thank you. And how did you pick that as a first single? And was that an automatic?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think with that being on the four-song EP or mm-hmm. five-song EP, that was always from the day that I wrote it with um, Busby, my co-writer. Uh, it just had that sparkle to it. And I've written hundreds of songs, but you just you don't get many of those. And so it just seemed like a clear cut choice, a no brainer to make that be the first thing that I released out into the world under my own name. And so, yeah, I mean, I think presenting it to Sony and my church in eighties just always went hand in hand because they were the, I feel the strongest out of the EP, the most like, um, I think the most me and the most, um, things I'd want to say in like three minutes wow. so yeah it's hard it, to like carve those out but you it, get lucky every once in a while can I get a hallelujah can I get a-
2: Great anthem, great song. It does have a sense of tradition. We were still feeling the effects of bro country. Not many women on the chart. Kelsey Ballerini's first single went to number one. It was the first number one solo female since 2006 with Carrie Underwood. So what were you thinking about? Did you think there was going to be any resistance or...
0: Well, you never know. I mean, we, we were going through, we were in the aftermath of the whole, what they call the tomato gate thing mm-hmm. with, with women. And, you know, it was kind of funny because in light of that, and we were kind of joking around that, that our first signing was, okay, our first signing is a young female. And it's like, okay, we're going to go into the headwind. But we felt like we were doing it with something that was very, very special. And you know, my church is one of those kind of songs. When you when you listen to it, you go, "Okay, this is either going to be what it ended up being, or we're not going to get it through." It's, it was kind of like you either you swing for the fence with that one. There might have been something that might have been easier to radio to come out with first. But what was always great is Marin really had a clear vision, and that's what was so compelling. I know to me when we first met her was her ability to articulate this vision. And I think our job then is to take her vision and articulate that to the marketplace. Um, and we had discussions internally. But as Marin said, my church was so quintessential to who she was that it was like, if we get this through and we do what I think we can do with this, and it is what I think it can be, then it becomes that kind of anthemic signature moment for Merit. And I think it, you know, you go to your shows live, and it's just, it's amazing What's that still. like, having everybody sing that back?
4: Uh, it's still really emotional. I can't, I mean, every time is different, every experience, which is crazy because, you know, you play a lot of the, the same capacity crowds, especially like on a big tour like Sam Hunt's, and it still is such an energy-based feeling when that song kicks in and people are realizing what it is and they've been waiting for it the whole set and um it's yeah it's pretty crazy and I remember distinctly last year it was like um a day or two after Hero um came out my church had been on the radio for a couple months but it was still really new and basically unheard um but it kicked enough of the door in for the album to debut at one and um, we were in Indi- Indianapolis with Keith Urban. I was opening for him last summer, and it was right the same weekend my album came out. That was the first time I heard like thousands of people singing and knowing all the words That's so to awesome.
2: It. Hero debuted at number one on the Top Country Albums chart on June 9th, and number five on the all-genre Billboard 200, which is quite amazing. Randy, it was the first number one solo female album since Jennifer Nettles, first solo but she had chart history before that
0: yeah I mean she came out of, that, of a super group really yeah. and
2: before that it was Cassidy Pope who also had came out of the voice right so it doesn't happen all the time and I remember he, the quote from Marin was that I had for my story that day that um I got from you was you were in shock about it and and I had a great quote from you just how gratifying it must have been what was that like when you, when you saw the news of
0: Well, you know, going back when you, some of the first words, as I said, that I spoke to the new staff was, I think the very first thing I ever said in the news when I first addressed the staff was, uh, because Sony had been so in the rumors and who was going to take over and what was going to happen. And I think I remember saying something to the effect of, so what do you think everyone's going to be talking about now? Mm -hmm. You know, because they they can't be talking about us being the implication. And, And I said, I've got an idea let's keep them talking about us but let's change the storyline and that's where that came from and so that was one of those moments where it 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 hit me that you know we we set a goal for ourselves and we went hard after Marin and we tried to present her a vision about who we were and it's still overpowering to me we we talked about it Thursday night in Atlanta I just said you know the fact that you Believed in us at a time where it could have been easy not to believe, and you believed in us, and you gave us your most precious thing, which was your music, and allowed us to to dive into this with you. I I, I always tell her, I just said that's it's it's emotional, it's overpowering, it's 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 uh, it's gratifying, and so for me, it was more of. I wanted to do that for her. I wanted to do it for us, but I also wanted to do it for Maren because it was our way of saying, you trusted, you believed you gave to us, you gave us your most precious thing and we're going to be, we're going to deliver it to you at a, at an extremely high level. And it's funny so to- that
4: goes both ways because I mean, you know, yes, I trust it, trust you guys to see the vision and execute it the way that, you know, we dreamt of, but um, you know, being – there are a lot more um, – or a lot less artists that are signed than you think there are. I mean, it's kind of – you win the lottery if you are signed. And so uh, – because I had been turned down by a major label here in town twice, like in the span of a few months. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're all cool now, but, you know, it does kind of go both ways where you're like, okay, yes, I had this vision, and but you guys trusted me to – be right about it. And so that is sort of this, um, this really cool responsibility that we have to hold each other accountable for is you are trusting me and I'm trusting you. And we just have an open line of communication about it because it's music, it's, it's subjective and it's, you know, it's not formulaic.
2: And from the inside, because Randy and I more, because we're inside of it and but you're out there seeing fans all the time and you are too randy but you know when i talked to you did it for a lot of people too because the, you know the people that i know outside of the industry when they heard your record just really loved it especially females women love the album that has to be my church was the number five song for the year as far as digital sales um it must be really gratifying that people actually buy it
4: yeah especially coming out of like the test tube phase of spotify that's where i first put my music out was um yeah just sort of guinea pigging the spotify medium and so to have a song my first song go platinum it, it is really gratifying to see that people want to own it enough to buy it
2: yeah that's a great feeling yeah. i was going to talk you mentioned tomato gate and i was going to mention that later <laughs> but before i came in here to talk to you guys i looked at the chart And in the top 30, there are three solo females right now, you and Miranda and Carly Pierce. And as I say that, I mean, do you think we've made progress?
4: Well, yeah, because two of those are (laughs) new artists. Carly's new and it's a ballad. It's valid. Um, I still, you know, ha- haven't gotten to ring that, like, number one bell on my own accord. So just, it is... Congratulations,
2: you had your first number one, though. Thank
4: you. Yeah. And it's it's amazing. And it's so cool to, like, have my name and my voice be a part of something that people liked enough to let it go number one. And, um, yeah, but it, it's... I think there is progress that has been made since Tomato Gate. But it's, yeah, I mean, it's still a very staggering number as you see.
2: Yeah. And for, for the person listening in, I just want to reference tomato gate who may not know. There was a radio consultant um, who we, we know um, and said that if I got it right, that female artists were like tomatoes on a salad and you could take them or leave and kind of thing. And then the whole thing just exploded. And I actually think it's been good in a lot of ways of, of changing things. Mm -hmm. Um, You must get asked all the time about from women asking you,
4: yeah. Yeah. And I think it brought light to a problem that we all knew was going on. But I don't think most of America knew what was happening, because unless you are just so locked into the country radio and like the world that we live in here. I don't think people realize that there was such a disparity f- between the sexes. And so it really did shine a light on the fact that uh, it it's been in this slump for a lot longer than Mm -hmm. it should be. And there's always going to be fluctuations, ebbs and flows with the trends of the chart, but to have it just so blatantly be one-sided for so long is, yeah, troubling. And it's like, we're chipping away at it a little bit. And a lot of it is just the songs. Like they have to be relatable enough. They have to pop enough. Um, And I think women are, More songwriters are becoming artists now. That's what I came from. And I think, you know, someone like Carly Pierce, she was writing and is now an artist. Uh, It's so cool to see that happen because I think it's letting the floodgates open for better songs.
2: Hmm. Randy, do you get approached? Do you hear more female artists now since all of that has happened? Or more pushing through to to where you noticed? Well,
0: you know, I I walked into a situation where, you know, at, at one point in time we had while we were launching and and, and getting Marin on, you know, we had Carrie, we had Miranda, Mm -hmm. uh, the cams burning house had become just a huge record. And then we had Marin. And so at one point in time, I think we were the only label group that actually had any, well, Kelsey. And, 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 and so that was really what what was going on. Um, I mean, and in my career, I've, I've always, through my early days at RCA and then even at lyric street with Disney, um, I've had success with, with women, uh, and I think what what Marin was talking about. I think it's just got to be, it's got to be right, and it's got to be unique, it's got to be compelling, it's got to be undeniable. That's what Marin. That's what Marin is. I believe. But yeah, it's 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 always been that way in, in country radio. And and Marin was talking about uh, well, like Ryan, her 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 fiance now. He and I were talking about the fact that. The, the tough thing about Mary was that she was a woman, but the great thing about it was that she was one of, of a handful. And I was talking to Ryan about it. And I said, on the other hand, man, you're a brand new male artist, and you're up against 45 other, right. you know, 50 other male artists out there that are trying to get that slot. And so I think when you get the the female right, and there is that compelling kind of song, you you, you know you, you can break through. Because I think women typically do something that's very – Different and unique, and historically, when you go back and you look at the chicks or Shania or some of the faith in her prime, I mean, there was a statistic that I remember back when in the days of selling physical goods, but it was really—I mean, uh, Garth was one of the few. Male artists that ever really broke that seven million, six seven million Mm -hmm. per album threshold, whereas women would do it. Faith did it. Shania did it. I mean, Shania and the Dixie Chicks came out of the '90s with back to back uh, Diamond Award albums. That's a really good point. They sold ten million uh, 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 per. So there is always this thing that when women seem to get it right, they break through at a larger level than men. and I don't know why that is because people like it. I think maybe so.
4: <laughs> I think if you, I mean, not to be a traitor or anything, but I think if you can, sw- like sway the ladies, and you are a woman, yes, like you have the majority of the genre right. and the people that buy records and buy tickets to the concerts because i mean you go to a sam hunt show and you're looking out and there's some dudes but they're there with Is their there girlfriends women? <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> you're right it's date night and so i think you know if you come from a place of being relatable but also like disarming them and being like i'm a girl's girl i'm not here to like steal anyone's man or blow anyone's house up i'm here to just be authentic and relate to you because It's really powerful to be a woman and talk to a woman and for them to connect to that song. And so, um, yeah, I think if you, like, disarm the lady vote, you've got, like, the bulk of the genre. And that's why those women back in the 90s and, like, the early 2000s, I mean, they were iconic superstars.
2: I was in radio then, and that's when... Country boomed is when, Randy, you know, the the women started listening because when I first became a country programmer, I was 24 and it was all guys. And then a few years later, it shifted where it was 60 to 70 percent women listening. And I was going to ask you about that because, um, you know, it wasn't all that long ago when I left country radio, but the playlists were a lot deeper than they are now it's become corporatized the playlists are a lot shorter so are we hitting all the marks it used to be a great melting pot of traditional sounds contemporary sounds pop and rock uh one big top 40 melting pot of all kinds of sounds and storytelling lyrics do we have all of that now in country radio
0: i mean I- I think that we still do. I mean the one thing that I always celebrate about country is the fact that it's probably one of the broadest genres cuz you get to Hot AC or Top 40. You know, that's that's where that's where the records that are emerging from the different formats right. they cross into. Now the big one is Hot AC. And so when you listen to Hot AC to me it's it's very very narrow and very very homogenous because it's it's all the hits from these other formats, and they get weeded down to a certain thing that happens to be ha- happening at that moment. Whereas, I mean, I think about the chart right now. You think about Sam Hunt, which is really in his own unique lane. We just launched this new kid, Luke Combs, which is, he's in his own. Two week, week number one. Two week number one. Um and he's in his own unique lane, and then you got a Thomas Rhett who's in that very kind of pop lane. You got Marin that does what she does in a very unique kind of lane. Then you got this Miranda who is, you know, hard to even begin to to define. And then you've got Chris Stapleton in our format, and so it's it's a really interesting, and and there's some really interesting bands that I think are more diverse than they maybe have ever been. I still think that's there. I think the unfortunate thing is is that yeah, the the currents get less. Um, you you've got a chart that I mean I think this week, I don't know, only only two two records in the entire chart didn't have bullets, which means that you move from twenty to nineteen, nineteen to eighteen. It's a cycle like, it's oh. a death
2: march between fifty and thirty.
0: Yeah. Um, we call it the Trail of Tears you know it's just that you're right you, it's it's a bloodbath it's it's the killing <laughs> fields, and you've got to be you have to have a real specific game plan to get to get through that and you know I have to say that with Marin we had um we had uh this program that iheart does with on the Virgin they stepped out and said, we believe we believe and we're going to jump in behind this and that then and then Sirius was you know around there with with you Spotify as well Sirius stepped in yeah. and was, it was very
4: like attacking from all angles Yeah and so that urge.
0: you're right and that was the whole game plan was how do we okay how do we use this new corporate these new corporate entities how do we use them to our advantage mm-hmm. and i have to say i think steve hodges really did I mean, yeah i don't know how job. those guys
2: do their job today because it's the strategy is it is. is meticulous it is and are we thinking about another single will there be a fourth single off this record
4: um i think so like we are <laughs>
2: it's i have funny a like I was telling Fountain before. I I really love Rich, and Mm. it just sounds like a hit single to me. Ding, 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 ding. Ding.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I think, like, the litmus test is live, like, which songs really stand out, and the crowd, like, freaks out over, and that's always, from the beginning, been a really excited feeling in the room once we kick into that, but, um, yeah, I mean, I could use a love song, obviously, like, releasing a ballad and being a woman, it's like... Well, you have two knocks against you now. Um, it's, it's it's a great song. Thank you. you. Um, great song's
2: a great song.
4: And it is like a very different look for me, a different sound from the first two singles that were so mm-hmm. like anthemic and loud. Um, but no, it's it's been cool to like show different sides and see that song, even though it is like the marathon of one a week, like mm-hmm. moving up mm-hmm. one and one and one. And you look at the competition around you and you're like, I'm surrounded by superstars. <laughs> Like this song is like the little ballad that could. And so, um, but yeah, I think we're all really excited about what happens now. with it. Well, that's still debatable. I feel like, I don't know. I I think the only time I consider myself one, if I can even say that, is if I'm like on stage.
2: It's probably hard to verbalize it internally, right? For you.
4: Yeah, I mean i i think i'm just so on when i'm performing that that's Mm -hmm. when it makes sense and it's not so much this like alter ego it's an extension and like amplification of my own personality when i'm up there but here just sitting talking to you guys as we are um it's yeah it's hard to consider myself in those ranks but
2: are we um, thinking about a next album yet right are you you're obviously probably writing all the time right
4: yeah, I I finally counted and I think we're at, I've written like 40 songs in the last 6 months. Wow. And um I just had my friends come out this past weekend and um they're the ones who wrote I could use a love song with me and we wrote, you know, all 3 days and I'm just so excited about where everything's starting to trickle.
2: But you co-wrote all 11 songs on Hero. Yeah. So do you listen to other stuff too by other writers and consider?
4: Yeah, I've put like one or two on hold that I didn't write myself only mm-hmm. because I love the song so much that, you know, I felt guilty putting them on hold, but then my fiance, Ryan, he's like, well how much would it piss you off if someone else recorded this? And I was like, probably a lot. <laughs> so I was like, okay that's a That's good a great question.
2: That's a you, great yeah. question. Do you solo write too?
4: Um, not a whole lot. I mean, I think the only time I really sit down to write alone is just to grab ideas for an upcoming, like, mm-hmm. co-write. So I'll just be at a piano or with my guitar on the bus by myself like a couple of minutes before the show or something and try to get the antenna up long enough to get a title or something for the next write.
2: Hmm. Okay, so any genre. What was the, um, the last album that you guys listened to each, that you put on an album just to listen to? Go
0: ahead, Mary.
4: Um... I was listening. I've been listening to this album a lot. Um, It's this R and B singer, SZA. She's a new Mm -hmm. artist, and um, she was on the Rihanna anti album last year, that was Grammy nominated. and And then she put her own out, and it's just a really, really amazing collection of songs and sounds. That you know, I have to listen to a lot of outside genres just to get like outside of my own brain, because you can only figure out so much until you listen to some new ideas. Well, I don't and think them. listeners
2: are genre specific anymore.
4: No. You know? They shouldn't be.
2: And R- Randy, how about you? Well, I just I just had a birthday not too
0: long ago and my
2: Can't s- be
4: a Sony artist.
2: It's not
0: well, well no. <laughs> <laughs> is it a Sony artist? Yes, it is a Sony artist, but it's what? I went I went old school my son. I got a turntable. Uh-huh. Cuz my daughter wanted a turntable and she's a real hipster and so I gave her a bunch of my old vinyls, and and uh, so my son bought me the the newly remastered with the real heavy vinyl uh, Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd. And so Great that album. Was, nice. That was the last one I sat down. I mean, I
2: listened to it. You chance. weren't doing drugs, this were you? Week, I, was doing, I was high, I was doing
0: drugs, <laughs> yeah. stumbling through the house. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but no, that was the last one I sat down and just, I listened to all the way through. And it was, it was really wild because I could remember when I first bought it, and I remember bringing it home. And my dad was a big, uh, like he would build the stereo and stuff. He would do all this kind of stuff. I have no idea how to do that. But I remember he had just kind of built this this whole stereo thing. And I brought home Dark Side of the Moon. And my dad said, hey, why don't you play it? Let's listen to it. And I said, you want to listen to Pink Floyd with me? You know, And, and I remember my dad and I sat down there and listened to Dark Side of the Moon and Whoa. uh just kind of in the dark we turned the lights off and listened to it and this new stereo that he had built from a kit that he'd gotten in the mail and it was really cool because my dad has since passed away so i was listening to dark side of the moon and since my dad my son had bought it for me wow. i was listening to it with my son and it just it hit me like oh my god i listened to this with my dad the, the first time how oh, great and ross just bought this for me and i'm listening to it with him and pretty pretty cool that's, that's one
2: thing um i teach a little bit and i always hold up albums that i bought to my students and try and establish with them the value of music and how i was a huge springsteen fan when i was a kid and i remember waiting for the born to run album yeah. for weeks to <laughs> come out in our neighborhood and when it came out we you know and in my bedroom i probably spent two weeks with that right. one record and right. marin the album hero is a cohesive album and I just fear, as a listener, I hear more and more artists say, I might not do an album. So Mm -hmm. I just want your thought on that.
4: Uh, Yeah, I hear that, too. And I think that for certain acts, that might be okay for their fan bases because they maybe they tour so consistently that they don't have time to sit and make a whole record. So they just want to put content out for their fans. But, I mean... I don't think the album is ever going to go out of style. I think it actually is coming back in style because, you know, of streaming services, you have, like, the world anthology in your pocket. And so you get to listen to full albums and not have to just buy one or two songs and then miss the whole point of what the artist was trying to capture. And so, uh, I I mean, maybe I am old school, but I I think albums are more relevant than ever now because I think people – attached to an artist as a fan and they want to like devour the collection of their story and so that's what I do as a, a fan of other artists is just listen to the full story I think maybe attention spans are getting a little bit better with album listening and not just like single after single or releasing an EP every six months our um, attention
2: spans are just so much shorter than they used to Randy what do you think about that really quick Is it case by case?
0: I I think it is. I think, you know, know, I was was sitting there, I'm going to digress for a second, but I was sitting there listening to Marin, and just, this is so much fun for me to get to do this because, as I was saying before, I've never done anything like that. We'll do it
2: regularly, we'll do it every week.
0: (laughs) Well, well, the cool thing about it is, the first time I've ever done it, I've done it with Marin, and that makes it really cool, but I was just sitting there listening to Marin talk, and I was thinking, I was going to say to you, you, you could see now why when she walked in and she played and then she started talking about your vision, it's like, why wouldn't right why wouldn't you say, you're like, going, oh my God, this woman's, there's sparks shooting out of her head, you know? So that's, every time I sit with you, it's just like, I always love that because I just, it, I, I'm sitting here just listening to you and going...
2: I yeah, have
4: way yeah. too much time to think about these yeah, things. Yeah. <laughs> this is
2: a compliment. But the first time I saw you was at the Ryman that night live on stage and with Stapleton and it was just an amazing show all the way around. But when I first saw you on stage, I was like, she's an old soul. You know, <laughs> yeah. this chick was probably Janice Joplin in Another Life or something. So you have that oh, sense wish. of tradition, don't you?
4: Yeah. And um while
2: still being new and all of that.
4: Yeah, I just think the the catalogue in my brain is everything from Motown and stacks to like Sheryl Crow. My parents just had the most amazing collection of music and then you know being a product of the 90s and listening to pop radio and country radio I mean you were just I was constantly absorbing like the past and the present and you know I think I had no other option than to become a songwriter because (laughs) I just had so many influences in my head and I had to get them out some way and so whatever came out of the kitchen sink was my album. And that was the sound of everything that I'd listened to as a kid and mm. now. And so, that's great. yeah, there's a lot, <laughs> but I'm glad you think it's cohesive because I think that's like the fear when you are so influenced by so many genres and like grew up on everything that it's not going to come across clear to the listener, but mm-hmm. it's nice for people to say to me, like they love the album front to back. They don't skip songs. They really want to listen to everything consecutively. That's a great compliment. Yeah, I'm like hell yeah. Can you please do that for album two? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yes. so
2: I know we're running out of time, but um, so where do you where do you guys go from this?
4: I Each mean, of you. I'm writing like I've you pressure, sort of f-
2: feel pressure for the next sophomore record, or, or I know, hate to use that term, but
4: you ha- like the cliche of having your whole life to write your first album, and then you have like one year to write your second, and the sophomore slump. <laughs> thing that looms over you. I think kind of accepting that demon and releasing it, being like, okay, I'm never going to write my church again. That is its own vessel and you can't like mm-hmm. recreate the wheel. It's just not going to happen the same way. And if I did try, it would be really disingenuous and weird. And so now I think the pressure has taken off of me because well, I'll answer that probably better the week before album 2 comes <laughs> out, but You want to give
2: me something? Give me a date.
4: I I don't know. I mean, I, I hope to have like something new out by next summer, like mm. whether that's a date or just the single. But, um, I think with every song I write and that's how I really, you know, ciphered through everything is, um, just writing the songs and seeing what falls out of the sky. And I've written like a handful out of the 40 that I've written that I, I'm like, I think this is this is the direction it's going in and it's really exciting to me and it's making me feel a little more, um, I guess just at peace with all of it. And it's, it's taking on a new form, but it's not straying so far where people aren't going to recognize it.
2: Hmm. That's great. Randy, how about you? Well, I mean,
0: she just said something that, um, she said, I'm at peace with it. And so we've done pretty well believing in her vision since July the 20th, 2015. So uh, my whole thing is just keep believing in her vision and what she uh, wants to articulate and us continue to do it at the highest possible level that we can be as good as we can, be as good at what we do as she is at what she does. And I think if we do that, then we're going to be okay. But just in this moment hearing you say, I'm at peace with that, that gives me a sense of peace.
2: it's really awesome, and just as a listener, you brought us great music um, and and that's a gift, so you know as we wrap up, I just want to thank you both for your time and thank you for bringing us this fantastic music in the last year but to both of you you know the last year and a half or whatever it's been now so just want to thank you for your time and and your journey in the next chapter i'm sure it will be great
4: thank you it's good to talk to you this was fun we need to do more interviews we do
0: i know this was fun (laughs) i I, it's been so great because we just had the last couple of weeks we just been we had a, a meeting with, with Marin in this room where we just were talking about okay, we're into the third single, we're probably gonna have a fourth, where do we go next? And it was just another great opportunity to have Marin talk to the staff and have a dialogue and that's one of the things we've really tried to do. It's hard to do because you know, an artist like Marin, if, if it works and it blows up, she gets really, really busy <laughs> and it's hard to get her in here and talk. But uh, I you know, I, I didn't even had a chance to tell you this, but we left that room and Marin was in here and we we're talking about what is typically kind of broader marketing and creative and how does it work in the marketplace. And it was great for everyone to hear you be able to articulate your vision as well as you always do with such great vision and passion. And it was just the room the room was buzzing and, and okay. the and the hallways were, and that's the great thing about what Marin does. She she shows up and inspires everybody and inspires me personally oh. so it's very cool thanks
2: well thank you for taking the time uh, for me this has been a really big treat so i really appreciate it. Well, good you thank the you Jim.
0: appreciate it
2: randy goodman chairman ceo sony music nashville and grammy award-winning baron morris thank you
4: thank you i could use a love song that takes me back just like that when it comes
1: All right. Maren Morris and Randy Goodman. Randy, the CEO, uh, chairman of Sony Music Nashville, talking with Maren Morris uh, all over our country charts uh, for the last year or so. I thought, Trevor, the most interesting thing that came up was talking about women on country radio and the country marketplace. An interesting point that was brought up about how as much as as uh, so many people say there aren't uh, maybe enough women in country music, how in some ways it could be easier for female artists to break through at country because there aren't that many, so they stand out. Whereas a guy trying to break through a country, he's up against, as they said, forty other guys who maybe have a similar sound. So
3: maybe there's kind of a silver lining in that.
1: Uh, Interesting way to think about. It.
3: I'd never thought about it that way before. Yeah, I mean, it's, I feel like it kind of. I mean, as some people would argue, you know, if it's that easy, then why isn't it happening, you know, more often? Um, I, I mean, it's kind of tough because sometimes you always want to think of, like, I guess. It, across all genres, there's kind of like a lane, I guess like there's like a lane that people kind of let one type of artist into. And, you know, for women at country, you kind of have like maybe three kind of lanes. You kind of have somebody who, like maybe a Marin who's more of like the softer, you know, um, kind of, I don't say like just like just a love song kind of singer, but somebody who's a little more soft approachable. You got someone like maybe Miranda Lambert who people think is a little more edgy, a little right. more, you know, not afraid to get in your face and stand up for what's right. And maybe there's this kind of problem where they don't know you know, what maybe a new female needs to be, this new mold that we haven't seen. And, and those are kind of, I think, the traditional kind of arcs for country. I mean, you've got the Loretta Lynn kind right. of types who feed into Miranda, and maybe you've got more of a, a Dolly Tammy Wynette that feeds down to through Marin. So maybe like they just need a new, I don't know, there's like a new mold. Yeah, Randy's saying how in the late
1: 90s, early 2000s, that uh, other than Garth Brooks, it was only Dixie Chicks and Shania Twain who had these astronomical sales. So when when they do break through, they break through in many uh, ways bigger than male artists. So... I don't know. Right, kind of a catch twenty two somehow. If if that success happens, then why aren't there more of them? I think that question still still remains. I don't think we solved that question, and, and it won't uh, we won't get a clear answer anytime soon. But yeah. interesting way to look at it, I thought at least.
3: And I mean, definitely on to that point about you know when women break through, they break through better. I mean, like you said, in the '90s it was obviously Shania, Dixie Chicks. In two thousands, we saw uh, Carrie Underwood break through in a massive way after winning Idol, especially you know right. that she was taken really seriously by the community and of course the one the only taylor swift who really just blew a lot of those doors wide open so um yeah i mean maybe you know some of these kelsey ballerini or marion or or other women who are out there are the 2010s model and can can hopefully transcend that as well
1: all right let's go back to july 1974 when one of us was four months old
3: All right, and Gary was only four months, and Elton was only four years into his career. Uh, This week in 1974, we're talking about Elton John's number two Hot 100 hit, Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me. Long before it was a staple on American Idol voice auditions, it was one of Elton's uh, biggest hits at the time. And interestingly enough, it would become an even bigger hit for Elton a decade and a half later when he teamed up with a good friend of his, uh, George Michael and the two of them did a duet version a live duet version that they recorded at Wembley took the song from number 2 way back in 1974 finally got elton that number 1 in 1992 so sometimes it takes a it takes a group it takes a group of friends gary to to get you over the hump i think it was
1: actually just because of this part of the song
3: You think think that's what did it?
1: Yeah, I think that's the most recognizable. I don't know if that's what made it number one. It's not what made it number one, but isn't that the most recognizable part of the song at this point?
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, of of course. I mean, George Michael had covered the song a couple times at concerts. I mean, you, you know, it's not it's obviously not a weird fit for him. Obviously, he was sort of, I guess, in a way, the, the British heir to to that Elton throne. But yeah, for them to to come out together and and you know, out of nowhere, I mean, they really didn't know he's going to be there. Right, huge surprise. And the you fact, just hear the crowd; it just it sounds yeah, the genuine. Fact that it's still live. I mean, they didn't do a studio recording, you right. know, for this or whatnot. They just, I mean, a props to props to the days of great vocal talents because that is a live recording of that song. And
1: um, and yeah, and it's not the only uh, actually hit that Elton John had a hit with twice under different versions. Not only Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me, Candle in the Wind, there's actually uh, three pretty known versions of that. This, the 1973 studio version, which wasn't a single. Uh, but then 1987, the live version, got to number six on the Hot 100. And then that also got all the way to number one 14 weeks, uh, just about 20 years ago, 1997, the Princess Diana
3: tribute version. I, again, one of the most well-known tribute songs probably in, in world history. And uh, even though Elton Elton did it twice and got both of them to number one on their... On latter attempts, Elton isn't the only person who has scored hits on the Billboard charts with uh, the same song, but but recorded in a different version or reworked in a different way. Uh, we so kinda... not,
1: not just a re-release where a song becomes a hit a couple times, like right, uh, like uh, Bohemian Rhapsody because it was uh, re-released from Wayne's World. We're actually talking different recordings.
3: Yeah, we're yeah, we'll start there, and we'll see how we'll see how far we can go before you run out. Um, so, looking back, of course, we kind of mentioned this at the top of the podcast a little bit. Um, a little nugget there about Walk This Way, the Aerosmith song. Right. Um, was a hit for them back in the the 70s. And, of course, I think most people remember when Run DMC came around. And in, the, in 1986, uh, we recorded the song, you know, with, as a collaboration with Aerosmith. Really actually kind of helped get the band back together and, and give them, obviously, a new, a new frontier. A lot of rap fans who would not have known who Aerosmith was got some exposure to them same thing on the rock side people who you know rap was still kind of in terms of its nationwide commercial success you know still barely a decade into the game um, exposed them to a whole new crowd of people so one of those mutual relationships that works out best for both parties
1: are we going back and forth now with examples?
3: Oh, gosh. It's like, it's like a duel, you know? It's like a like a quiz off or something.
1: Well, I got another a George Michael one, uh, although it's really more about Queen than George Michael. Uh, does, does, do, I don't know if it counts. Some, no, it counts for Queen. At least Somebody to Love uh, was a number 13 hit, the studio version in 1977. For Queen, 1993, it got to number 30 live version with George Michael. So we started having a couple different uh, live hits in the early
3: 90s. Elton John, Queen. You know, George Michael is. I, I guess if you if you needed a, a re-up of a hit, George Michael was the guy to call. If you're British, if you yeah, if you, yeah, only if you're a British. If you did not have the British passport, don't call the man. Alright, uh, gotta give a shout-out to, of course, one of the my favorite compositions of all time, uh, the incredible Dolly Parton, and I Will Always Love You. Um, a hit for her on the country charts three separate times. Uh, she had her original recording back in 1974 when she first released it, went to number one on Billboard's Country Songs chart, was re-recorded in 1982 for the film The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, still one of the, the all-time great film titles of all time. Um, just re-recorded the song for the soundtrack, and... Once again, found its way back to number one, and then the third time, which is the one I guess that would technically count, is she uh, recorded it as a duet with Vince Gill in the '90s, top 15 hit on the country chart, getting to number 15. Uh, and of course, side note: we obviously know the Whitney Houston version. That doesn't um, count. It doesn't count. Nope. But you got to give a shout out. Yo, massive hits deserve shout outs whenever, whenever you bring them up. So uh, rest in peace, Whitney who took the song to number one in ninety two and um when she died the song actually got back to number three on the hot one hundred right. uh, in two thousand and twelve. So twenty yeah. years apart. Yeah. It really is it really
1: is one of the most
3: um ever, everlasting yeah. pop
1: hits. Yeah, it just it's come back so many different times, so many different decades. Uh if you're gonna mention Whitney, sort of. I'm gonna mention Mariah. She had uh Hero, number one hit, nineteen ninety four, actually recharted in two thousand and one number eighty one hit. It was a, a sort of number eighty one. It wasn't. Hit. It wasn't uh, that big. Never okay. too far slash hero medley. That, okay. Do you remember that? No. They mixed the two of them together. <laughs> no. It was. It was from the glitter soundtrack. Glitter soundtrack. I'm mentioning the glitter soundtrack.
3: Uh, one of the most infamous recordings in music history. So, uh, lead single from that was "Lover Boy," which got to number two on the Hot 100. Yeah, and this and was the, the follow up.
1: The, the press for Glitter at that point had kind of uh, ruined all chances, really, for another uh, big hit after that. But it was actually after September 11th. It was sort of yeah, September sound, 11th. Yeah, the
3: soundtrack came out on September 11th, 2001, yeah. one of the most sort of infamous, you know, I mean, no one could have known. Right. But after that, uh,
1: ballads became really people wanted comfort food on the radio. So ballads were really big. So never too far. Hero. Uh, was uh, a hero obviously was themed for for September eleventh it really fit lyrically, so got back onto the chart not a huge hit that was where she was uh, at a lull in her career, but charted and brought hero back
3: so we'll take it back um around the same time actually back in the seventies Gary, you could probably help me out because you know this guy way better than i do um Neil sadaka breaking up is hard to do originally recorded in nineteen sixty two actually was a number one hit on the hot one hundred so shout out to Neil for getting that number one. We recorded the song in kind of in a really, really different way. Like, I made it a ballad. It was a little more up tempo friendly um, in, in its first recording in 1975. Took a slower version of it to number eight on the Hot 100. So, I um, he did it all by himself both times. No featured acts, no guests. So, really, one of the probably one of the only times in Hot 100 history you're going to see the, the, the soul artist by themselves take a song to the top 10 twice in entirely different ways. Right you mentioned
1: 1962 i think i can do one more and this is you can't beat this because this is the all-time biggest hot 100 hit well this is a that oh gary that didn't count not that it's a no. Well, you're right. Uh, Chubby Checker took the twist to number one in 1960 and then 1962, same version.
3: When, when First when the kids found out about it, right. then when the parents found out about it.
1: But uh, 1988 version by the Fat Boys got to number 16. He's not officially credited on it, but he's on it. So uh, 28, 26 years later, after the original version uh, became a hit twice, Chubby Checker was back in the top 40 on the Hot 100 with another version of the twist, even if he wasn't technically credited on it. He was there. Chubby, Chubby was there. He's everywhere. He, he came here last year to Billboard. He was on the podcast.
3: I mean, he's still got the same kind of, you know, uh, uh, sprightliness and vigor that, that you would only expect from, from a guy, you know, who's known, I mean, just to be an energetic, you know, dancing kind of man. All right. And that's this week's Billboard Chubby podcast. Uh, one song in particular, we did not mention in this little segment about songs that have been hits twice over by the same act. But we should mention is something we're going to say for next week to go a little further in depth. It is the number one song of 1996, a 14 week Hot 100 number one. The Macarena, which was a hit uh, for Los Del Rio. But as most people probably know, the bigger hit came from courtesy of Los Del Rio and the Bayside Boys Mix, which is the one that, I mean, you hear at weddings and parties and maybe even funerals to this day. Maybe. Sounds like a fun me wrong. There we we go. You can't spell funeral without fun. But we'll uh, look back at that. 21 years uh, at number one. That'll be on next week. And we'll also be talking to really the guy who was responsible for turning it in from an international sensation to an American smash. uh, Jammin' Johnny, who works down in Miami. And he'll be on the podcast to talk about how he uh, helped create the song. Yep, and uh, it's another countdown episode.
1: So uh, not only we're going to uh, just talk about these songs, we're going to count down from number forty to number one, the Hot 100, August third, nineteen ninety six. Just like don't we give did. them the
3: now that now now I can go home and research. Well, that's you true. Know? Don't
1: Google it. But uh, <laughs> just like we did nineteen ninety seven, we're going to go back to uh, Macarena. It's first week at number one with Despacito. Number one now. Looking back at the last time uh, a huge uh, foreign language song was number one. We'll go uh, forty to one. Uh, Tony Braxton, Tupac, Alanis. Mariah in the top forty back then.
3: Yeah, Tracy Chapman had a big uh, comeback hit. Don't don't forget, Celine was up there. Celine. And, um, but it's not also just you know these big superstar names we remember to this day. It's also kind of fun to go back and see some of the the one hit wonders of the, of 1996 and some of the people who you thought could make it and you forget about it until you see them on the chart again. So we'll see. Um, a nice mix of of the superstars and the um uh, the the forgotten ones. I guess we could we could say. We'll
1: be celebrating.
3: <laughs> Gary, Not, even if it was a, a one-hit wonder, they still had it. They, they we're still right. talking
1: about it. One hit is better than zero. All right, so that's uh, next week on the Billboard Sharpie Podcast, a uh, countdown number forty to number one, nineteen ninety-six. All these uh, songs we were just mentioning, uh, Trevor. People have had uh, hits twice, different versions. What should we close with?
3: Again, you got to do a classic rap rock crossover. So let's hear flashback to nineteen eighty-six, and this is going to be "Walk This Way." Aerosmith and Run DMC. I like this how what, last week we closed with Bobby Brown. This week, Aerosmith. A little Boston theme here in my hometown. Get, that, that's it. Do it for the Boston boy. It
1: was a